Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Kirsty Lewis, founder of the School of Facilitation. So, Kirsty, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, uh, today we're going to find out all about Kirsty, about facilitation, uh, about how the School of Facilitation helps people perform, who they help perform, etc. Um, but before we do that be great to have a little bit of background about you, Kirsty. You know, what's brought you to where you are today? Good question. Uh, there was a point in time when I was really little and I always wanted to be a teacher. And I would tell him I was going to be a teacher. Uh, and then I got to university, studied geography, realised I didn't want to be a teacher. And purely because I, I think it was like, oh, like there's extra study to be done. And none of my friends who were teachers seemed particularly happy with life. So I did the classic thing in the 90s and did something called the Milk Round, which is in the UK, and uh, managed to land a job uh, with a, a brewery called Bass Brewers, who are um, were a Midlands-based company. They're now owned by Morton Coors, went through their grad scheme, then joined Guinness, and Guinness merged into Diageo. And whilst I was at Diageo, there was this dream role called Global Sales Capability Manager, and I was like, ooh, oh, I really want to do that. And I'd taken a risk and taken a sabbatical for six months. And I was back applying for jobs uh, in 2005. And this global role came up. So I sort of went all out and applied for it. Uh, did a great case study, apparently. And then got it. And this job was basically Diageo at that time had 10,000 in-house salespeople. So they were very clear, this is how you sell. This is how you write a trade strategy, a commercial plan. This is how we have relationships with clients. These are our sales drivers. So to help India, to help South Africa understand that, the global team, there was only three of us, would then go in and support the sales director and do the training. And it was whilst doing that, I was like, oh, a workshop. What is this? Um, and I don't know about you or your listeners, but at that time I would have what I call a daybook. And I was forever writing in the back of my daybook, what makes a great workshop? Like, what is it that I do? What's the environment like? Um, what are the do's and the don'ts? And and I started to realise that I, I quite like this and it was really interesting. Uh, and I didn't appreciate there was a whole world outside of the corporate duvet that mm. you could uh, enter. And uh, what happened to trip me from corporate to working for myself was around 2007, I was doing a lot of personal development work and a friend was testing a workshop in London and they said, would you come along and just make up the numbers? And I was like, yeah, right then. So me being me, rocks up and did not know what was going to happen. And you, you were meant to bring an outcome. And basically, it was for any of you who've done this kind of work before in NLP world, you craft an outcome in the future tense. You then look at the values, you look at your beliefs, limiting and positive, and you basically hone it all day. And so I was like, oh, right, okay. So facetiously, Paul, I made this statement and I, I've saved it. And it was 
Uh, it's April 2009, and I'm an NLP coach and trainer, and I earn £5,000 a month. And honestly, when I wrote that, I thought that was the most audacious thing that I was <laughs> saying. I was like, who am I to say that? Anyway, so this was like first thing in the morning. Well, by the end of the afternoon, I'm cycling home because uh, I lived in London at the time. And I'm like, I'm going to leave London. I Not leave London. I'm going to leave Diageo. I'm, I am. I'm going to resign. And, and that had never occurred to me that that would happen. I always thought, you know, I'd stay in business. That's what I was meant to do. Yeah. That's the good girl. You know, you're meant to... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a product of the 70s, so it was all about get your education, get that job, buy a house, get married, have kids, 2.4 dogs and a child, you know, whatever it is. And I suddenly realised that wasn't for me. So took six months of making a plan, um, but then I resigned and I left Diageo Christmas 2007 and uh, started out as, a, as an associate trainer in the world of sales, because that's my background, commercial. Right. And then over time, so that was 2008, over time, I did loads of associate work um, and I really enjoyed it. And I was really blessed with the types of clients I got to work with, uh, predominantly FMCGs, CPGs, uh, traveled again globally. And then I started to realize I wanted to do my own stuff. And then I worked with a coach and around 2014, literally after a nine month process, School of Facilitation was birthed. And uh because what I realized was I was still getting really passionate about how we design and deliver learning. Right. And whenever I went to try and find that for myself, like a community or a space to just go and do a bit more self-improvement or just a, a dive into a bit of learning, I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, sadly, at that time, the IAF, the uh, uh, BIF didn't have a presence in the UK either. So whenever I tried to get hold of them, they didn't come back to me. So I was like, sod it, got to create my own thing. So that's when School of Facilitation was birthed. So that's oh. how I sort of get to where I am today in 2022. Oh, I mean, a brilliant story. I recognise some of the parallels in my own uh, sort of career and, and path there. Everything from... I grew up not uh, being specific that I didn't want to be a teacher. Both of my parents were teachers and I was insistent in my own mind, I'm not never going to be a teacher. And I feel like I've been grown up to be a teacher by proxy in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but um, just want to check on a couple of things. One, NLP. Uh, yeah. Um, I know I, uh, I'm, I'm aware of it, probably not to the level of detail, uh, but for our listeners, what's NLP? Uh, NLP is just a school of... Um, I don't know what is it a school of. It stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, it was came out of the hippies on the west coast of America in the 70s. And it's a blend of understanding how our brains work, how it affects and impacts our language and how, um, you know, your thoughts and your emotions show up on the outside. I mean, I did all my training back in from like 2005 to 2008. I don't use it specifically anymore, but I know it's definitely just innate within me because I just went through so much learning on it and it was just one of the one of the steps to where I am today so yeah no I, I mean I, I'm similar you know I've heard about it I've had some level of, of light training in it but it's uh it, it's one of those things that gets built into your offering in some ways and built into the yeah. way, your own way of I working don't name it. yeah <laughs> um the other side you, um because I the reason I put this podcast together was very much one of those insights and those moments that you had, which is realizing that there is a world outside of working in a business. Yeah. 
uh, and the ability to go, oh, I can take a role that just helps this business perform. I can do something that stands back from the day-to-day delivery and just helps people get better at what they do. Um, And you've you've come across facilitation, but there's all sorts of, you know, you've also mentioned coaching there, there's coaching, um, being a consultant, all those different roles that come along with that. Um, Was that a real eye-opener for you in terms of, you know, I can do something that isn't the nine-to-five traditional role? Yeah. And and was outside at that time felt like it was outside the norm i mean the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now so searching for like who does training who does facilitation yeah. just didn't there were these big companies that sort of were owning that space mm. uh and the sort of freelancers of this world it was still quite uh, they were definitely freelancers out there but you just didn't know where everybody was mm. um and i think it was it, i felt really comfortable going this is what i'm going to do now it was really interesting telling other people, including my family, because of the the pre-programming of, you know, a job is someone else gives you a job. So going and doing your own thing, like running your own business, that was just, that sounded alien to many people. Right. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it is a moment where I, mean, I certainly had that moment, which is maybe I could just do this for a living. <laughs> you know, I'm doing this as part of it. And I probably had a bit more of a, um a gentle role into it I took some roles within um internal roles within companies right. and things like that and then got some facilitation training which is yeah. always I like to ask my uh, guests who are into facilitation did you ever get any training formal training yes. in how to yes I, I had a really good teacher a man called Tim Andrews um who used to own a business and it was called Stretch um uh, I don't think he does it anymore um but he was one of my teachers and then I had really good teachers from other people at Diageo who were so Diageo had a real philosophy that the managers trained their own teams like we didn't use externals so one of the things I would be doing quite a lot is training up managers to be able to do delivery right um and there were just a couple of really great managers that I worked with who coached me and were really good facilitator trainers themselves right yeah because I happened to get some training probably a couple of years after I'd started being a facilitator Uh, but it's amazing how many people sort of edge themselves into it learn on the job and there's a lot to be said for that yeah yeah who did you learn with um so I looked with uh, Dr Richard Allen I went on a couple of courses in New Zealand uh he had green light training I believe he's um he's now retired and, and hung up the boots but um one of two training sessions that I consider successful in my life um and su- success for a training session like that for me is it changes my behaviors yeah uh, you know it's like it, it's not just interesting it's not just useful on the day it actually changed the way in which I work it and is. deliver um and that um that really influenced how I go about facilitating events and how I go about doing things so yeah it, it's it's amazing though those moments that a bit of training um isn't necessarily what you need in order to make a success in this world, but it can make a huge difference to the um, the approach that you take and just the um, almost the, the different angles that you don't see. I think also um, if you're going to become a trainer or a facilitator, yes, you've probably got passion for a particular topic, uh, whether that be leadership or people or high-performing teams, um, and that's a good start. I think going and learning more about the craft and the art and the science of facilitation and training will just make you even better because it 
there's a whole host of skills that go alongside your mindset, your behaviors, your language, your body language. And often we get so wrapped up, or I've noticed people get so wrapped up in the content. Like, what is it? What is it we're going to do? What's mm. the exercise we're going to do? Yes, that is really important. Mm. And it's more than that. Also, people get really wrapped up in the content, but then their design is pretty average as well. Right. And I see people doing like presentation style with a bit of a, an activity and okay-ish debriefs and okay-ish briefings. And I'm like, oh, there's so much possibility here. <laughs> yeah, it is fantastic. And I, I, I've been listening to a different podcast um, called Jokes with Mark Simmons, uh, which is uh, all about the craft of uh, being a, a stand-up comic. Okay. And, and it's a, I started listening to it just out of general interest, I like a bit of comedy, but it real parallels with it's about putting your, how you put yourself out there, your yeah. timing, your tone of voice, the wording can be really important, yes. uh, and just how you engage people and how you react. So it is a it's a craft in its own right, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. I think um, so. Some I haven't done this, but quite a few friends have gone off and done improv training yeah. as a way to uh, enhance their own facilitative style because of the parallels to improvisation and being on your feet in front of a group and mm. how do you go with the unexpected and how do you respond? How do you react? Because some people like to be fully in control and know exactly what's going to happen. But hey, we're working with human beings mm. and uh, they have a habit of saying and doing things that we're not <laughs> in. They certainly do. That wasn't on my agenda. <laughs> what do you know? Don't ask that question. Yeah. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> Brilliant. So maybe that takes us on then in terms of going in a bit more about the School of Facilitation. So what is it? Who do yeah. you help and how do you help them? Good question. So SOF, uh, as she is known, and she's a sheep for some reason. <laughs> so SOF is now seven years old and we work with two different, two different uh, audiences. So firstly, facilitators, trainers, freelancers, people who work for themselves. And then also we work in corporates and essentially doing the same thing. So which is helping people get better at designing and delivering learning or workshops for their end users and end clients. Um, also, the other piece that we provide and I love doing for the free freelancers is uh, create community, because one of the things many of your listeners will know is we often work on our own and we daily are on our own and you know we've probably got one or two people that we can pick up a phone to and have a good old chat with or moan or pass ideas around I've just noticed that it's so important that we have that connectivity that community that uh, when you decide to go out on your own sometimes gets lost and is missing yeah no, it's amazing. Some real parallels with uh, uh, my friend Faris Aranki, who was in the first episode, um, who done exactly the same thing as yourself, looking for a community that could help with what you're doing and just not finding it. And, yeah. and but then taking that next step and actually making it happen. You know, it's like. Yes. Um, so, what was the process for you of creating that community? You know, you, you mentioned. Well, actually, not, not I was just about to say yeah. the very first event that we did at SOF was and they're called gatherings and I can see it now it was in August in London and I hosted it as a breakfast meeting and about 15 16 people came along and we had breakfast and we were just talking and connecting as facilitators and trainers and from there 
it was all very ad hoc to begin with, but I would either bring in a guest or there would be a particular theme or topic and we'd always explore <clears> it. Um, that then morphed as sort of the online world came in a bit more. We carried on doing in-person and they started to become quarterly. And then I did them in London and Winchester and Leamington Spa. There were times there were only two people would come. There were times there would be 15 people. You know, it was really up and down, but something inside said, no, keep going, keep going. And then one of the, I guess, memorable moments was it was as we were going into lockdown at the time I was living in France and I remember sending out an email and I think it was March the 16th. It was a Monday. I sent an email out to about 50 people, which I've saved. And I said, Hey, something is coming and none of us know what the fuck it is. I was quite exclusive. Sorry. And I was like, who wants to get together on Friday morning at nine o'clock and just do a check-in and see where we're at. And I gave them a zoom link and just left it. And so some people replied, yes, some replied no. Anyway, that morning of the Friday, I'm back in the, I come back to the UK. We were genuine. That was Friday the 23rd. I think we were about to go into lockdown, but still didn't know. But already on LinkedIn, we were seeing posts coming out of China about them being in lockdown spaces like illnesses in Italy hitting, but then people were starting to say they were starting to lose work. So right. we started that first Friday um, and had about 30 odd people. And I said at the end, do you want to do this again next week? And they went, yes, please. <laughs> Literally, we did it for 20 weeks in a row right. as we went through the lockdowns. Because what became really apparent was that there wasn't a space for for people like us to go and have conversations. You know, if you work for a corporate, yep. you were told what was happening, you were looked after, it was mm -hmm. all explained to you. If you were furloughed, you knew you were going to get paid. But when you work for yourself, yes, you could furlough yourself, but then you couldn't take any opportunities that might have come through. Mm -hmm. So it became apparently, and I didn't realise this for a very long time, a lot of people used to tell me afterwards, you know, that was a really, that was such an important point in my week that I knew right. I could come I knew there'd be music I knew there would be a poem I knew I could talk to other people there would be an interesting topic that we would cover and I was like oh wow okay so from there we've now turned that into a monthly regular um free event it's called the community pod the SOF community pod that happens on a, the first Friday of every month um so that that's how the community element and aspect uh, really came to be and is very virtual we are going back to in-person gatherings and then so those that's the community element which I think is really important for people to be able to have that and know that they can come and belong and hang out and find people who can help them or or just celebrate with them as well so I think that's that's exciting but then on the the flip side is with SOF is working again sometimes with freelancers but predominantly in corporates we look at three different areas. So we, we I was just literally writing a, a proposal, but it's for a corporate. We're going in, we're working with their L&D team. We're showing them how to design uh, really simple workshops that they need to go and create. Then we coach them on how to do great delivery. And then we provide a space which I call purposeful practice. So they can practice delivering the content they've created and get meaningful feedback from me, but also their peer group who are going to be the learners in the practice session. Yep. So you get two points of feedback mm. that has relevance and meaning. And so that's one area that we do a lot of work in. 
We also provide facilitators into corporates when they need a facilitator or if they've got their own learning programs, but it's a big rollout. They don't have enough people. They don't want to do it themselves. So we do that globally for quite a few companies. And then um, secret sauce. Sometimes I still do a bit of sales work because I enjoy that. So sometimes people still come to me and go, can you help us create a global commercial program that we can roll out? Hmm. So I get a kick out of doing that as well. Oh, some brilliant stuff in there. And I, I know you've, because uh, we've connected through uh, various people, including, uh, I'll g- give a big shout out to Mark Watkins over there, who I obviously work with in, in New Zealand. And you know Mark from, from years yeah. ago as well, that you? And uh, and yeah, just some, some some of the great connections that, uh, that people yes. like Mark and, and others make in order to help yeah this community and this world of facilitators and trainers and and, and make different work available to them, learn yeah. from each other, all sorts of wonderful stuff. So, oh, great stuff. So a um, couple of uh, sort of slightly different questions now. Firstly, yeah. um, almost like an ideal client question. So if you could work with anybody, and it could be an individual, a team, an organisation, that you think you could really bring something to help them perform, do you um, need to take, I've written this down. Oh. I've got it here on a sheet. <laughs> Homework done. I drew this a while back. I've suddenly realised it sat underneath my laptop. And I wrote, <laughs> my favourite clients to support and grow. So firstly, they're forward thinking. They are of a flat structure or teal. They have a, probably have a global reach. They recognise that learning is a journey and it's not like a one-off workshop that they yeah. go can you come and just do this one off? And you're like, no, because that makes no behavior change. <laughs> they put people first and they're about collaboration. Um, they're very much about their community um, and learning is integral. It's not a plus one. It's not like, oh, we, we have to do this. It's a tick box exercise. Um, they're also really open to um, a blended learning journey. So I think we've now absolutely proven that virtual has a space and a role. Yeah. Um, as well as in person. And I think the next things to come up are things like uh, virtual reality and AI. How are we going to start including those? Yeah. Um, the kind of client as well, I'm really happy to work with clients who've got a global reach because that's my background. It doesn't phase me. We've got, as you just mentioned, Mark. We've got great people globally who can work with us in different languages as well. Yeah. And I and I want to, and I love working with clients who just present us with a bit of a challenge so one of my recent clients they came to us and said I want to create trainers who can train trainers across our manufacturing sites I was like right so I described what they wanted someone basically like me or my team so you want to be able to have a trainer who can train out brilliant training skills and make an assessment as to whether the person they're observing can train Mm. she said yes I said, right. But that's going to take, that could take years. She said, mm. you've got six months. I was like, right. <laughs> but what it gave us was a really amazing challenge to be able to go and create. So that for me, like working with clients like that who've got foresight to say, no, we want to own our learning in-house. Yeah. We want to create people who can have that capacity to deliver the learning and we're prepared to invest to help our people grow so that they will be successful. So they're the types of clients that I absolutely love supporting brilliant and I, I love that and i love the aspect of um there is a very different approach isn't there to going in and delivering to delivering and building capability as you go through as well 
Yeah, and it's that building capability piece that really makes my heart sing because I'm like, well, if you build capability, you're giving the tools to your teams to be able to just go and do it themselves. Yeah. And I, I don't want to keep coming back. That That's not my <laughs> business model. I, I'd rather we came in, built an amazing team for you, and then it, oh, come back once a year, do a bit of a check-in, yeah. do some skill build, you know, do some refresh, brilliant, but I don't want to keep coming back. Whereas I know other business models want to just keep going back, so... <laughs> doesn't doesn't work for me <laughs> and the flip side of that question in terms of is there anybody either individual team organization that sort of thing who you'd love to just sit down have a coffee have a glass of wine with and learn from them such that you could up your own game and yeah your own performance that's a really good question i and i was thinking about that i think for me it's about I'm at the point with School of Facilitation of Growth where I am now the bottleneck because I have a great team of associates. I have a great back office. We have good clients coming to us, but I won't go out and look for more clients because I can't manage it. No. And it's it's how do you grow well and healthily? Um, so I guess I probably want to sit, I don't have a name, but it would be someone with that entrepreneurial streak that's not just that has the foresight. How do you take the next step to expand and to grow. Yes, it could be a Richard Branson, but I probably want someone who goes, these are the systems you need to put in place or this is the hire you need to go and make. Right. That would be right now, right now, this month would be amazing. <laughs> okay, so if there's any listeners out there who think they fall into that spot, then uh, yeah. get in touch with Kirsty. And, and I guess that, that brings us nicely to the, the next piece, which is how do people find out more? Where do we find out more about School of Facilitation? How do people get in touch with you? Yep. So on LinkedIn under Kirsty Lewis, uh, the picture is telling and it says bright pink, bright blue <laughs> colours. So that's what you need to look for. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. If you're on Instagram, go find School of Facilitation. I'm on there daily just chatting and sharing the business and what's happening. Um, or find us on our website, which is also www.schooloffacilitation.com. Fantastic. I'll put all those links into the show notes as always to make sure people can can connect. So, um, Kirsty, always a fascinating conversation and it's brilliant just to get the insights into not only people who are facilitating, but people who are helping the facilitators up their own game. So yeah. I love the work you do and uh, and keep, keep it going. Thanks for being Thank on today. Thank you very much. Cheers. Speak, speak soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.